Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. of the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Kobe, here on this Labor Day weekend, Sunday, September the 4th. Hope everybody's doing well. Of course, you could check out the show all the time at MetsMarized.online.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Chat about anything, anything New York sports related, especially the Mets, anytime you want. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope you're enjoying what is probably a long weekend for everybody. Really the last, even though it's a summer, will continue into September. It's the uh, unofficial end of summer, just like Memorial Day is the unofficial start of summer. And it goes all too quick, just like this baseball season has gone way too quick. I say this every week. I look up at September. I'm like, geez, it's almost the end of our first uh, season together here with the Talking Mets podcast. And uh, it, quite a lot has happened. And uh, if you watch the Mets, that, that first game opening night, 50% of the starting lineup is now no longer with the team. So who would have predicted when Matt Aholt and I did the initial Talking Mets podcast show that uh, this is where we would be talking Mets baseball with guys like Robert Gazelman and Seth Lugo making starts in important games on September 4th. Anyway, um, in just a little bit, new guest of the show, Rich McLeod, Rich, uh, at Rich McLeod on Twitter, writes for Baseball Perspectives, uh, wrote an inaugural piece about the Mets and Kelly Johnson, something interesting. Want to talk to him a little bit. He also is a coordinating producer, video, video editor at MLB.com. So Rich will join me, and uh, we'll chat a little bit about the Mets. Obviously, earlier podcast, Mets playing the Nationals in the ESPN game tonight. So I'm not sure when you're going to be picking this podcast up, but you could be picking it up before the game, after the game. So keep that in mind. Um, But here's what I'm going to start off with is I've counted this team out a couple of times, and I think the, the focus of the podcast has been rather negative for a while here. And it's easy. It's easy to do that because, let's face it, the Mets and the Nationals playing this weekend, this was a series that you pegged as possibly one where the Mets would be right there with the Nationals or pushing them away or, you know, these were supposed to be bigger games. And nothing tells you how unimportant these are to the Nationals as they have nearly a 10-game lead in the National League East is that they're going to skip back Scherzer, which helps the Mets, but obviously tells you that they don't view the Mets, and they, nor they should they, as this being anything special. You know, this, this is just another game on route to them clinching the National League East and uh, and preparing for what uh, will be their first-round series in the playoffs, depending on who they will play. So that's where it's at. And and I think it's time, and, and I'm as guilty as this, to accept where this team is at. This team is what I call in the wild-card muck. 
and we could you could you know gnash your teeth about it, complain about Collins, and and we'll talk about all those things about how the young pitchers they seem to be having an ache and pain every day, and and all the things that you can you can make up that are wrong with this club from top to bottom. But the reality is coming into play today, before all the games start here on September fourth, that the Mets are a game out of the wild card, the second wild card, two games out in the lost column, and have an opportunity in a year where a lot has gone wrong, some of it self-inflicted, some of it bad luck, some of it just the natural progression of a baseball season, to make the playoffs, get in the tournament, and then who knows what's going to happen. How I see them being able to do this as we have about a month of baseball left to play is they've made some serious ground up this week by taking three out of four from Miami. Um, hopefully uh, winning a ball game here tonight against Washington and taking two out of three against the Nats and putting themselves in a position, if Pittsburgh loses, where now instead of being tied with Pittsburgh in the lost column, they're ahead of them today. And I think it's important because they need to stay ahead of Pittsburgh and Miami because the muck of the wild card, it's so hard. Like on, what was it, Friday night when the Mets lost that game, they got fortunate where St. Louis and Pittsburgh and Miami, they all lose. You, you just can't count on all these teams losing every night. And you can't figure out, even if you win your ball game, where you're going to be because you're depending on a lot of things to happen. And that's really where the Yankees, who are in a wild card race, they have as many teams in, 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 in with them. It, it just becomes complicated. So it's not so much the games ahead or the games back. It's how many teams are involved. And you want to get this down to where you're just about on the precipice here of it being a Mets Cardinals race, bringing back some of the old memories from the '80s. So it's it's and obviously bad memories from recent years where the Cardinals beat the Mets in the the postseason. But an old school, albeit one where they're not in the same division like in the 1980s, but they're in that wild card division and, and not having an opportunity to play each other anymore since they uh, since they finished all their ball games. So that's where you want it to come down to that 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 it's just going to be every night. Did St. Louis win or lose? Did the Mets win their ball game? And that Pittsburgh and Miami are, are safely, not comfortably, but safely ahead where there's a little bit of a margin for error. Because the minute Pittsburgh jumps back in over you or the Marlins creep back, it just creates a lot of scenarios which make it very difficult for the Mets to go out and make the postseason here. And, 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 and ultimately, would that be success after everything? And I guess you have to say that. And would it save Terry Collins' job? Probably, um, which is something that is a byproduct or something negative byproduct, because I think the Mets will be much better off without Collins, uh, you know, for for sure. But that's you know that's not what this is about. What it's about is first of a couple of things. Let's talk about before I get to some of what I think is the positives that came out of some of these injuries, because there is some positives about what has happened for the long term viability of the club. First off, let's put this out there. Everybody, so Danny Nobler wrote a Bleacher Report, wrote an article about how the Mets young pitchers after heavy workload, stressful innings in the postseason has broken down this year. That's accurate. However, I get the sense that, and I don't think anyone has really written this, but I wonder if there is going to be a faction out there that will say, well, see, was it worth it? They're going to shut these guys down. They could have built this thing up, and maybe they'd be healthier this year. That's total hogwash because you don't know what's going to happen. Thoracic outlet syndrome, what Harvey had, could have happened no matter what. Inflammation, which DeGrom has, I'm not really sure there's anything you can do to prevent that. Bone chips with Mats and Syndergaard, that's going to happen. 
Ron Darling has talked about how he had all these things that you see, maybe not the thoracic outlet syndrome, but all these ailments, these aches and pains that you see are things that are part of pitching. I think a couple of things are different now than they were back in the 80s or even the 90s when the Braves staff came in. First of all, the radar gun is always up there. So the radar gun is is always hanging over these guys. And the minute it's a couple of miles an hour slower than what people expect, oh my God, he's injured. That's the first thing. The second thing is because of the amount of access, Twitter, um, the cameras being all over the ballpark, like what you saw with DeGrom summoning the trainer. These guys, everything gets reported. Inflammation is something that unless it's really impacting DeGrom's ability to finish, his mechanics, I mean, pitchers are always hurting. They're going to tell you that. I mean, sit down with a big league pitcher or a former big league pitcher. They're probably still hurting. That's just part of the job. These guys are never going to be 100% healthy. It's 162 games in 180 days with significant travel, a game that's extremely fast. You know, this is not you and I playing slow-pitch softball in the park. And even if we were, we're hurting on those games. And you know, the, Again, I understand they're finally tuned athletes, and they're making millions of dollars a year, but the body is the body. The grind is the grind. That's what, that's what, that's what every athlete – and there's a lot of studies now that talk about how, how healthy some of this schedule is. You see it a lot in the NBA. So you know, I think that that makes it a little bit different. Where I, and I made a comment on Twitter that the Mets rotation is soft a little bit. I think that to a certain degree, the Mets, the media starts the trend where, oh, my God, this is going to be a tough year. And the team plays with how they prepared them for spring training to be – it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're preparing for the inevitable, and the inevitable may not happen, but you force it where now these players are – are every ache and pain, they're on high alert. But look, I don't know. I'm not in the trainer's room, so – it has been disappointing about how the focus of the staff hasn't been how can they elevate and take the experience that they had from last year's postseason and elevate to the next level. It's been about, well, they need rest. They, you know, they got to be watching out for innings. There's inevitably going to be bumps in the road. Well, you think next year is going to be any different? You think just because they got through this year, they're not going to have aches and pains next year? So it was certainly worth it. You never know when you're going to get another opportunity to get to the World Series. As you see this year where everything was supposedly lined up for the Mets, to make a big run, he can still do that, but you don't know. You always go for it. You can't play Stratomatic here or fantasy Moogle baseball where you set everything up and then you make your run when you're ready. That's, that's the perfect world, and very rarely does the perfect world come into play. Right now, best-case scenario, Mets grind this thing out. They jump ahead of St. Louis. They get into a one-game showdown in either San Francisco or L.A. That's going to be a hell of a tough ball game to, to win especially considering you're probably going to face Bumgarner or Kershaw in, on their home field. It's a game they probably can't win, if all things being equal. But you never know. Once you get into that one game, you never know. I'll tell you what, though. The positives that you have to see are plentiful, I think, even with all the negativity that's gone on. So let's put that in a uh, wayside in the one-game playoff and, and the worries about something that's not a reality right now. First off, Jose Reyes, who – and I will tell you, Sandy Olsen did not want Jose Reyes. That was an ownership call based on feedback they got when Reyes played against the, uh, the Vegas 51s when he was in Albuquerque. So Sandy Olsen didn't want Reyes. So what you've seen a couple of times this year is how, first of all, at 33 years old, he's not done. 
He's not nearly done. And his legs can help change a ball game. You saw that against the Marlins earlier this week. A double gets to third base on a sacrifice fly that should be with moderate speed make it, but Reyes makes it different. And then scores on a wild pitch that some people wouldn't be able to score on because of the fact that it had bounced so hard back to the catcher and they have to make a quick throw and play and what have you. He did uh, similarly in Chicago with a triple, he helped with his legs. So Reyes, the fact that he's back on the minimum next year, that Colorado's paying the salary. I understand all the people who are gnashing their teeth about the domestic violence. It's This is about the field, guys. And on the field, the Mets are a better team with Jose Reyes on the, uh, on the, on the field than not. He's a better third baseman than David Wright defensively. I'm telling you, Kelly Johnson impressed me at third base. Kelly Johnson made about five plays this week. There's no way in hell that David Wright's going to make it. Um, Reyes provides you protection when Cabrera, who uh, seems to need some, some time off here and there for nicks and bruises. No one's playing 160 games anymore with this, this club. You know These guys are 30 and north of 30. You need to mix and match it. And Reyes has shown that I think without Reyes, I don't know if they're even close to, to the Cardinals right now. The second point, and we talked about this, and we've had a little bit of a, a debate on the program about it, was Cespedes. You know, John Delcos was on here uh, of the New York Mets report, former beat writer for the team, and said, hey, I'd, I'd let Cespedes walk. There's a lot of people, I've seen tweets from fans that feel he's a dog with fleas because he, he does annoying things. He, he doesn't always slide. He seems to be more interested in his golf game than, 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 than the, the pennant race. But look, this you saw this with the home run that he hit against Miami earlier this week, and you've seen it with the home run against Adam Wainwright, and at different points in time, ever since he got here, and he's here now a full 162 games, so you have you don't have a small sample of Cespedes. You've seen the good, the bad, and probably the ugly. Every bit the dynamic offensive player that Daryl Strawberry was as a slugger and Mike Piazza. He's every bit that. And I know that the opt-out and signing him comes with a ton of risk. And you saw how a long-term contract for players north of 30 can go bad. You saw it with David Wright. Hey, you saw it. Look, if Kelly Johnson's back goes out six months from now and the Mets sign him to a three-year deal, everyone's saying, oh, my God, you can't sign anybody anymore. You're always going to have that, that risk with a player. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know if Cespedes wants to be back. I don't know if he wants to opt out. You hear all sorts of things. All I know that if I'm Uanus Cespedes in the Mets – I find a way, barring something crazy happening in the final three to four weeks, I find a way to have this, mar- this marriage, which is still a dating type of situation because they, they haven't really committed fully, become consummated because I think they need each other. Cespedes has never been better and never been more in the spotlight as a baseball player since he came over from Cuba five, five years ago almost. Then was time with the Mets, and the Mets have not had this kind of dyna- dynamic slugger since Piazza walked out the door a decade ago. You can make the argument you got Delgado and, and Beltran, and they were certainly like that, but this is a guy that can carry a team. Beltran and the knock with that team with Delgado, Beltran, Wright, and Reyes, is they all kind of needed each other. None of them really could carry the team themselves. Cespedes has done it, and when they need him, he's there. When they need him to end that game and send everybody home, he was there. And he's going to drive you nuts because he's going to do some silly things in the outfield and sometimes he's not going to slide. And he's probably going to take days off when you don't want him to, but you need him. 
and, and, and I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that this is going to be a big topic of conversation once the season is over, and it'll be interesting where it goes. Finally, um, another po- – you know, the biggest positive I could say that came out of all this stuff and, and what's happening. Look, you would definitely want this team to be healthy, have all the pitchers aligned, have – uh, Harvey starting to, tonight, uh, Syndergaard, Mats, DeGrom, all at peak. And, and at peak, it's a, even this year, which has been up and down, through this, the results they've gotten with everybody except Harvey are, are results that a lot of ball clubs would want from their starting pitchers. These are guys that consistently go at least six innings, sometimes seven, allow a couple of runs tops. The Mets are constantly in games. The Mets lose games more for their offense, bullpen management, uh, in the seventh inning prior to the eighth and ninth inning than anything else. And that falls on the manager, and it falls on the fact that I think from a construction standpoint, they have to reevaluate how they construct the team because without guys like Reyes coming in and adding a component, I think the Mets have learned that you just can't sit there and wait for a three-run homer because it's just too streaky. And the feast or famine type of offense uh, doesn't work. I mean, you've seen a much more diversified offense over the last couple of weeks, especially with a guy like Reyes in there. But anyway, the positive that comes out of with these, you know, with no more Harvey, with Matt's going down, with DeGrom needing rest, with, with Syndergaard and the bone chips needing to be skipped, is that you're learning about guys in the system. And I said this a week ago. Guys that Sandy Alderson has drafted and brought in and has been charged with developing, not Omar Manaya, what they got. And I said this. It's time for them to step up. I said this a week ago, and they did. You're learning about Seth Lugo. You're learning about Robert Gazelman. You're learning about Josh Smoker, who's one of those value signings, a former first-round pick that fell on his butt with, uh, with injuries, was in the independent league. Mets brought him in. Let's see what they got with Gabriel Noah. You have Logan Verrett, who I think we kind of know he's a swing guy and, 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 and who he is. But I said this to you guys. I don't care what happens the rest of the year. I don't care if all these guys come and prepare in our tip-top shape come opening day next year. You're going to need eight to ten starters because things are going to happen. There's going to be blisters. There's going to be aches. There's going to be pain. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be double headers. You need eight to ten starters. You need to be able to say, I need somebody other than my core five guys. Even the Braves had to do that. And if you don't have depth, you turn out like the 2007 and 2008 Mets who are starting guys like Philip Humber who wasn't ready, Brian Lawrence. And, and, and pitchers like, uh, that, that are pulled out of the independent league and you're crossing your fingers and you're hoping that you win a slow-pitch softball 8-7 game. You can't win championships like that. You need depth. And what I like about a Gazilman and Lugo, although I think Lugo is the best one who's shown me the most out of all of them that I think is sustainable, is that they got moxie. They're not afraid. They don't care that this is a pennant race. They're not coming up here getting their brains beat in. They, they act like they belong. Even Smoker, he's up there throwing 98 to Bryce Harper, getting a big out in the seventh inning. And that's what you got to like. You don't, you know, with them, it's not about, oh, I need, you know, innings limits and pitch limits. They're going out there and, and they're going out there and pitch. And, and sometimes you'd be surprised how those guys emerge. Jacob DeGrom never was the big prospect in the system. It was supposed to be, you know, guys like Wheeler and Montero were ahead of him. DeGrom has done a hell of a lot more than those guys have. And even Montero, you know, Montero did not have what I think is a great outing earlier this week. He still seems to, to walk too many batters and, and dances around the strike zone to challenge hitters. But 
there was something that came up during the broadcast that was important. It was that Montero just started to learn how to pitch. I mean, he came here uh, in his early 20s. He was signed. He was a late signee for for where you know for for a Latin player, and we got to remember that. And he's been asked to adjust to a country and a culture and and learn how to pitch and pitch at different levels. And sometimes it takes people longer than others. So we'll see. A lot of good can come out of this. They've got depth. They've got maybe chips that they can move uh, for for key components of next year's club. Who knows? Maybe they got guys that are crazy enough to win a wild card playing game and maybe go you know, a little bit deep in the playoffs. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have the Grom and Mats as part of the party. I, I can't predict anything anymore because I don't know exactly what the health issues are. I got to say this. It's, I've, I've preached this since, since April. Next man up. You'll know when your team is decimated enough where they can't compete. The Mets have never, never, and I will reiterate this, been decimated enough, in my opinion, where they couldn't compete based on where things are. If this was last year where the wild card race is at a 97-win pace, this would have been gone weeks ago. And not only because of injuries, because they played poorly at various points in June and July. Losing unacceptable games to the Braves and, and what have you. They've never been like that. They've always had enough where I felt they could compete. And and these prospects, these guys that Sandy Olison has brought in, these none of these are imports. They didn't have to go out and make a ton of trades, although I know they tried. They they've they've shown themselves. I mean, the Mets made a reasonable trade for Fernando Salas, a good arm to bring in the bullpen. But you didn't have to make that deal. It was a nice deal. You didn't have to. You're not relying on a deal to get starters in. You're not scrambling for what veteran is on the scrappy. you got guys coming up and doing the job. And you may find out that some of these guys might be better than the guys you had. You don't know. All I know is, is that it's nice to be seeing pitchers go out there, compete, show a little moxie, and beating teams that if you had told, like I said, that first show that we had back in April or late March, that these are the guys who were starting in September, you would say, oh, my God, this is a disaster. How, how how can this happen? So sure enough, I mean, look, who would have thought Michael Conforto would be a center fielder? And actually, surprisingly enough, a guy who everyone thought was a DH playing a decent center field, you just don't know. You just don't know. But that's where this team is at. Let's make the most of it as, you know, covering the team from a journalistic perspective and also from a, a fan point of view. Have some fun with it. This is where they're at. We can't we, we got to manage expectations at this point. There's no way that we can uh, change the fact that this team should be, because I think that when they're healthy and they're on and they're managed properly, they're no different than the Nationals. Nationals got two really good top of the rotation guys that the Mets can have those guys and should be those guys, but they're not. That's the big difference is that experience. That to me is the big difference. And, and one final thing on the note of young players. Specifically, you'll see this with the Daily News with John Harp, and I don't want to make this a Mets versus Yankees type of thing, but to sit around after a good 100 at-bats and some trades at the deadline, to say that the Yankees all of a sudden are this shoe-in to be a championship team, and they've risen, and the Mets prospects and the Mets young pitchers of yesterday's news are is silliness. It takes one to two years for you to fully believe that a player is here to stay. You remember a guy named Ben Grieve? Ben Grieve was a pretty good offensive player his first year with Oakland. 
He was uh, picked actually right after Paul Wilson in the draft. He never turned out to be who they thought he would be after that first year. And you just don't know. I'm not saying that Gary Sanchez or, or, or Aaron Judge or any of these guys that the, the Yankees acquired aren't, aren't any good. I'm just saying is this. You don't know. And just because the Mets pitchers are not who you think they are right now, they've shown not only in the postseason but over the course of a couple of years now that they're here to stay if they're healthy. I know the health is always a dicey proposition, but I'll tell you what. You give me the Mets starters or anything the Yankees have because the Yankees don't have anything that I know what is. Gary Sanchez is having a nice 80 at-bats. Tell me where he is at at-bats 400 to 500. And I'll tell you what, he's probably going to be more what he was in AAA than Babe Ruth. I could put a lot of money on that. And you got to look at the same thing with these Mets young starters. Love Lugo, love Gazelman. You know, let's see what Montero does. But even if they do well in September – they're options. That doesn't mean we all of a sudden are going to go out and, and, and anoint them better than DeGrom and Harvey because these guys are going to have to do, just like I said, the Yankees guys, their second time around the league. They haven't had that yet. They will. And let's see. There'll be a lot of uh, – it'll be fun. Let's have some fun with this. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, Rich McLeod from MLB.com, baseball prospectus, covering the Mets, is going to join me. Let's hear what he has to say. And uh, we'll continue on on this Labor Day weekend. We'll be right back. And Johnson pulls one down the line. Fair ball, base hit, and the Mets take the lead. Desperate in. So is Granderson. Here comes Darno. He'll score. It's a bases clearing double for Kelly Johnson, and the Mets lead it five to two. back talking Mets podcast here and uh, I'm joined by Rich McLeod you could check out Rich over at uh, Baseball Prospectus like I said he just had his inaugural column over there covering the Mets uh, wrote a nice piece about Kelly Johnson he also works for MLB.com and he's here to talk a little Mets baseball with us Rich Mike Silva hope all is well how you doing my friend I'm good how are you can't complain you know you you brought up a real interesting thing that I was kind of thinking about in the back of my head as Kelly Johnson was hitting a couple of big home runs and, and really showing a different side to his offensive game since returning to the Mets was the Kevin Long factor and uh, mm-hmm. comparing it to Daniel, Daniel Murphy. And, it, you know, my theme here of the show is, look, the Mets are where they are. You could complain and talk about where they should be and what they haven't done, but to look at the positives of what they have, Kelly Johnson is one of them. He had a big hit this uh, this past week. OPS over about 900, a little over 900 since he came back to the Mets. And the Murphy comparison, although loose, because Daniel Murphy is an MVP candidate this year, he certainly is a different offensive player, even though he was valuable last year, than at any other point. Um, Chat a little bit about that, because it's interesting. At his age, he may be doing a little turn where Kelly Johnson is becoming a different type of offensive player and and a key part of what the Mets are trying to do here. Yeah, so obviously, like you said, you know, just because he's doing things similar to Murphy in in terms of the change of approach, it doesn't mean he's going to be Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy is having one of the most ridiculous years you could have. I think he's slugging over 600, and it's September now. You know, he's in the race for the batting title. He's in the race for the MVP. So he's not going to do that. But at age 34, he's changing who he was at least earlier this season. Obviously, he hit for power when he was 
younger, but he's a lot older now. But yeah, of course, uh, Steve Gelbs reported it earlier last week on an SNY telecast that at some point after the Mets reacquired him, uh, he approached Kevin Long and some of the other Mets coaches and said, you know, Daniel Murphy made these adjustments at the plate, like, and look what happened. Why can't I do that? So he's moved closer to the plate. His batting stance is a little slightly more crouched than it was before, and he's he's just getting to the ball uh, much better. He's covering the outside part of the zone significantly better than when he was with the Braves. He's had just a little more plate appearances with the Mets than with the Braves. Sample size is just about equal. Obviously, you know, it could be completely random, but seeing as the fact that he came to the team, he made these adjustments, and his numbers are very different, it obviously seems to be working in some capacity. And here's what's interesting. If you look at his career numbers, anybody who put money down, what kind of player was Daniel Murphy? Forget the October. Guy's going to hit 15 home runs, driving 60 to 70 runs, be more of a doubles guy, not really great mm-hmm. defensively, uh, but can play multiple positions. Historically, Kelly Johnson, when he played every day, maybe they were for some bad teams, but he played for the Braves when they were competitive early in his com- career. That's who he was. And it, when you brought it up, I said, you know, there's a lot of similarities. Now, Now, Johnson is in his mid-30s. He's at the sunset of his career. But um, if he's healthy, why not? Why not can he be that guy? And, and I'll tell you, defensively, I, I was impressed with what I've seen of him at third base. He's not bad third baseman. No, he's you know he seems perfectly adequate at third base and second base. I know he hasn't looked super great at first, but I would honestly try to. I'd rather see Kelly Johnson in there against righties at first than James Loney at this point. Even though Loney did have a big double last night, uh, yeah, he's been solid. Maybe is the right word defensively. He hasn't been a liability. Uh, he's been exactly what they needed, and you know, defensively in the probably in the clubhouse as a veteran presence, and obviously offensively, uh, you know, when they got him, he was hitting 215 with one home run. So I didn't think that he was going to make much much of a difference with this team at all. Shows what I know. Uh, he's been <laughs> huge for them. Yeah, absolutely. I have Rich McLeod with me at Rich McLeod on Twitter, uh, Baseball Perspectives covering the Mets, uh, also MLB.com. Jose Reyes, I mean, everybody, I know there was a lot of controversy because of the domestic violence situation, but I got to tell you, he's won games with a component the Mets didn't have before they acquired him. Now, is Reyes vintage 2006? No, but that game that Cespedes won earlier this week with the uh, the home run probably doesn't get to extra innings without Reyes. Earlier in the year, you saw Wrigley Field with a a triple and a run that uh, Reyes created to tie the game. Uh, You know, Mets getting him with the league minimum, that's all the investment is. And at 33, even though he's not vintage Reyes, I think he's an important part. I don't think they're as close they are to the wild card without him. And he's not all that different than the Reyes that we all saw in 2010-2011. I mean, he's, he's pretty much the same player. I mean, just a little bit older. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy. I didn't want him for two reasons. I Obviously, the off-the-field situation is reprehensible, and no matter how well he plays, that doesn't go away, and it shouldn't. But uh, he hadn't really performed last year. He His numbers have been steadily declining down. And, you know, some people say he wasn't happy in Toronto, but, you know, the, you can't make the argument that he wasn't on a competitive team. Toronto has been competitive for a few years. 
So, you know, it just didn't look like it was the right move at the time, and obviously that isn't the case. He's he's played really well. He's learned third base a lot faster than I thought he would. Uh, obviously, you know, some nights he just has, you know, a couple gaffes. I think a few days ago he made two errors in two innings. But overall, he's been very solid at third base. He's, and, of course, he's provided an element that this team has not had, and that's speed. They have no one on this team who's more than moderately fast aside from Jose Reyes, and especially since he came back from the DL stint, he's been really good. He's hitting uh, 318, slugging 432. He's gotten 800 OPS since he came back with uh, seven extra base hits, and he's scored 17 runs in 21 games. So, he obviously, uh, he's been huge for them. And, yeah, you're right. If if they don't sign Jose Reyes, uh, I don't think they're a game back of the wild card at this point. They're probably done. I with me, Rich McLeod, uh, baseball perspectives uh, covering the Mets. Ioannis Cespedes. Here's one of the things that uh, is interesting about him is that uh, now you got a year of Cespedes. We all know he was great, but have you? Could you? Uh, I mean, yeah, the Mets have had Beltran and Delgado and guys like that, but since Piazza and even Strawberry, he's that dynamic slugger. Beltran was good, but I don't. I never felt Beltran could carry this team uh, or carry a team. Same with Delgado. They got hot. Strawberry and Piazza would carry an offense. And I think Cespedes has finally fallen into that category. And just like, again, earlier this week, Miami, they, they, you know, he hits the home run where you, you felt it coming. I've had diverse opinions on here from different writers, some who feel they should let him walk because of his age and because he could be mercurial, some who feel he's invaluable. He's at a point where how can you let Cespedes walk? He's becoming the fabric of the team, and here's the second thing for you, I wanted you to uh, to think about and give me your thoughts. It's almost as much as they still are dating these these two sides. It's almost a perfect marriage because Cespedes has never been more popular or better since he came to the Mets, and the Mets almost need him because at that point they haven't had this kind of slugger in about a decade. Yeah, they can't let him walk. Uh, he's just been unbelievable with them. He's played 165 games of just just over a full season. He's hitting almost 300. He's had 44 home runs, over 100 RBIs, 34 doubles. He's even got some triples in there. He's been he's been everything you ever could have wanted and significantly more. You know, for years, that this was a guy that I was looking at for the Mets to maybe acquire. You know, I always liked Sex Pespitus, but uh, I never thought he was this good. And you know he's maybe it's maybe it's just the years under his belt. Maybe New York was just you know the right place for him at the right time. I'm not sure, but he's he's been unbelievable with the Mets. You know he's carried this team. This team is so much different when he's out of the lineup. We saw it when he was on the DL, and they completely went into a free fall. And really, the Mets free fall started in early July when Cespedes hurt his quad. If you remember, they swept four from the Cubs. They won two of three from Miami, and they, they beat the Nationals in the first of four. And that was on a Friday. The next, or that was on Thursday, excuse me. The next day, Cespedes uh, tweaked his hamstring. They lost the, rest, the last three games of that series, went into the All-Star break. They kept trying to play, and they just went downhill after that for weeks. Went on the DL, same thing. And since he's been back, he's been really hot. The team has been hot. Guys are starting to hit. 
he's been completely invaluable. And for years, I think Mets fans and people covering the Mets have been saying, you know, the Mets need to make that next Piazza trade. Like, who's the next Piazza that they're going to go out there and trade for? And it's your own assessment. You don't let that walk out the door. What do you think of Michael Conforto in center? I didn't like it when I first heard it. He's made some nice plays, made a nice play last night. Um, he's a guy that everybody, when I went to go see him in Brooklyn, you hear every scout, oh, you know, he's a DH, he can't play. And he played a decent corner outfield, has a good arm. I know the offense is still, we wondered now, second time around the league, which Conforto is the real Conforto. Uh, give me some of your thoughts, because he's a key part of all this, because what they do with him, um, or actually what they do with Cespedes impacts Conforto and vice versa, because he, if he can't play center field, um, unless Granderson or Bruce are going somewhere, where where does he play? Because then you have to get Cespedes off a of left. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I don't like uh, I don't like Conforto in center field. Uh, yeah, he made a huge play last night. Uh, great catch. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say that a better center fielder doesn't even have to dive for that, but I mean, maybe they don't. I, I'd have to look at the replay. But no, he did make a great catch last night, but still. I don't think he's optimal for center field. He's not particularly fast. You know, I don't know how well Reeves he's getting on the balls out there. I don't think that's the optimal thing. Uh, if they bring back Cespedes next year, I would. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do now because of the quad thing. But I would hope that they would put Cespedes back back in center, like he was playing last year and most of this year until he hurt his quad. Fordo and left, and then Bruce or Granderson splitting time. And right, I'm not sure how you'd want to do that. Uh, that's what I would do. But Conforto has been one of the bigger disappointing parts of this season. And I don't want to completely blame him because he's still a young player and he wasn't playing against lefties and he's been up and down and up and down. But, you know, last year he hit, you know, 270. He was a big impact. And he was a big part of this team's run in the, to the playoffs. And in the playoffs, he hit some big home runs in the playoffs. I mean, this year he's he you know and he started in April. I think he was hitting like three thirty, three forty in April, and ever since that moment, it's completely tailspin. He's hitting two twenty for the year. It's been a real struggle for him. He's looked okay since he came back, but it's only been a couple games, so you know the verdict isn't out yet on him. And he's still a young player, so you know we're still not exactly sure who Michael Conforto is. I do still think he has what it takes to be that big impact hitter that I think that he could be. He's still only 23 years old, still second season, and he has yet to play a full season in the major league. So, you know, there's a lot that he could still show us. I have with me uh, Rich McLeod, uh, at Rich McLeod on Twitter, uh, Baseball Perspectives, baseball perspectives MLB.com. A couple of quick ones before uh, we let you go, Rich. Uh, the – Moxie that we've seen from a Lugo and a Gazelman and a Smoker, if I had told you back in April these are the guys making big starts down the stretch, you'd be, oh, my God, where where's this team? You need eight to ten pitchers to get through a season. You go to any team that wins a championship or any team, no matter who they have, Smoltz, Glavin, big arms like the Mets, uh, mediocre arms, just things happen, doubleheaders, rainouts, uh, aches and pains. Who knows? Maybe the Mets have something here. Now, again – like everybody going gaga over the, the Yankees prospects, let me see them a couple times around the league. You probably won't get that this year, but these guys are giving you something to, to think about and depth that you didn't think you had going into this season, especially Lugo. Lugo, to me, has been the most impressive. 
Absolutely. And uh, I've had a colleague or two at NLB.com refer to Lugo as the Araldus Chapman of spin rate. And what that means is uh, he has the highest spin rate of any pitcher in the quote-unquote stat cast era on his curveball. His curveball, just for whatever reason, he has the most spin on it. It breaks more. It's particularly nasty when he breaks off a good one. So a lot of people who are into that kind of stuff are big fans of Seth Lugo, and he's been really, really good. And, you know, it's been pretty surprising to see him succeed, to see Gizelman succeed. He's pitched really well in uh, two starts and the long relief appearance that was basically a start against St. Louis when he made his debut. You know, they've both been really good. I'm still not completely sold on Rafael Montero. Yeah, he pitched five scoreless innings. He walked six guys, which is his big problem every time he comes to the majors. Didn't really look much different to me, and he was facing a struggling offense. You know, I give him credit for five shutout innings, but there's still he's still got to work on the little things. But overall, these guys pitching, it's been huge because when you think about it, when Harvey first went down and when they've had injuries to Matt and Syndergaard and, you know, DeGrom is getting skipped, you know, at first you had Logan Verrett making these starts. And for a little while he was doing okay, but he started to get shelled every single time out, and then they bring in Nice, and then Nice starts to get hit hard. And you're sitting there thinking, you know, what the heck are we going to do with this fifth starter's position? And now, obviously, it's the fourth, the fifth, and sometimes the third. And they bring in Lugo from the bullpen, who had been okay in the bullpen. Uh, you know, he hadn't been used in any really high-leverage situation. And they bring him in, and he starts to pitch really well. And they bring up Gazelman, and he comes in in that game where he gets hurt, and he's pitching really well. Montero gave him the okay start last week. Uh, it's been really, really impressive, and it's hard to judge a lot of these Met pitchers that aren't their A-plus pitching prospects because Las Vegas inflates numbers so much. You know, Jacob DeGrom didn't pitch particularly well there. Noah Syndergaard, before he got called up in 2015, uh, he was struggling in AAA. Like, a lot of these guys struggle in AAA because of the altitude, because of, you know, pretty dry air, uh, you know, the hitter's league. And you just never know with these Mets pitchers coming up in AAA how they're going to perform because the numbers aren't true. One last thing before we let you go, Rich. Um, Mets are a game out of the wild card, second wild card, two games back on the lost column. They finally got Pittsburgh and Miami in the rearview mirror. I think that's going to be important. You don't want to have to have four teams every night that you're hoping to lose. Uh, provided nothing wacky happens, another you know debilitating injury to Cespedes, so that this is the team that you're pretty much looking at. What are your thoughts? Uh, are the Mets on, uh, you know, in the first week of October, will they be in San Francisco or L.A. for a one-game playoff? You know, it's really tough to say. They've they've fought really hard the last couple of weeks, and they've really impressed me. Uh, their win on Saturday night against the Nationals was particularly impressive. You know, beating the Cardinals 2-3, of three, getting that split with the Giants after they lost the first two. That was all really impressive. And then obviously taking three or four for Miami, who's, for lack of a less punny word, floundering lately. Uh, that was all big. They've been impressive. But they're going to have to get healthy in some kind of way to make me believe that they can really make a run at this. Obviously, no one in the National League wild card 
looks like they want to win it, except for really the Mets. They've been the hottest team of any team. Pittsburgh is falling apart. Miami's falling apart. St. Louis suddenly can't get out of their own way. San Francisco has been really bad for like two months now. And past that, you know, Colorado, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, none of those teams obviously are in it at all. So obviously the Mets, you know, the Mets have a chance, but they got to get healthy, at least healthier. They're not going to get fully healthy, obviously. Wheeler's not coming back. Harvey's obviously done for the year. Wright's done for the year. The positive news is that they're hoping that Lucas Duda can come back, and if he can come back in any capacity, that's a major upgrade to what they've had at first base for the last three, four months. So I, obviously they have a chance. They're a game back now. I think they're six games back only a couple weeks ago. So they've made some big inroads, but uh, they're going to have to stay hot for the rest of the year, and they're going to have to somehow keep the guys who are here off the DL, and they're going to have to get a guy or two back from the DL for me to seriously think that they can do it. But they're right there. They've put themselves in a good position, and anything can happen. It's baseball. What do you got coming up? Obviously, at BP underscore Mets, if you want to watch, listen to, or read, should say, uh, some baseball perspective analysis on the Mets, at Rich McLeod on Twitter. Uh, what do you got coming up? Let the listeners know where they could find you and obviously find more, uh, I'm sure, Mets-centric uh, conversation. Yeah, you know, like you said, I'm at BP Mets now, writing there, so you can check out the site. It's at BP underscore Mets on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Rich McLeod. Uh, you know, I my video things, my video work for MLB.com obviously doesn't have my name attached to it, but I tweet out some things that I edit and work on there. So, yeah, that's where you can find. Hey, Rich. Thanks for taking some time on a Sunday. Enjoyed it. Uh, let's do it again, and uh, it'll be an interesting month of September here for the Mets. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's go, Mets. And that's Rich McLeod. Check out Rich at Rich McLeod on Twitter. His, uh, his work over there, you can uh, definitely get everything. And, of course, if you're interested in more baseball prospectus, uh, Mets-related content at BP underscore Mets. Uh, let's take a quick break. Final thoughts as we wrap up right after this. fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. MetsmerizedOnline is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com and get Metsmerized today.
We're back, Talking Mets podcast here. Mike Silva, of course, you can check me out at Mike Silva Media and um, uh, com always for the show. And uh, it was a good uh, good show, I thought. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where the Mets are. Every week, this thing is going to be different, so it's going to be hard to say, what are we going to talk about next week? It just uh, Every week, the Mets give us plenty to talk about. And uh, I, I Listen, I'll li- leave you with this. I think they have a good shot of this wild card situation, even as is with the current team and and, of course, we don't know if there'll be a major injury. Uh, I agree with Rich. Uh, I don't know if they could navigate a, a one-game playoff on the West Coast against either San Francisco or L.A. against their top pitcher. But I think it'll show a lot of character. I think it'll be good for the development of the organization and these guys to show that they have the moxie. Uh, they're not just going to give up. They're not just going to say, hey, you know, pack it in for next year. They haven't yet. Obviously, it'll save Collins' job, which is, is, a, is a negative byproduct of all that. But uh, it's important for this this window, this window of opportunity the Mets have with these young players, a three, four, five year window. That's all you're really going to get. I mean, that's and that's on the long end. That some of these other component players that you're seeing, that they contribute, that they step up and they become viable parts of of what hopefully is going to be for the next two or three years a contending Mets ball club. So, anyway, uh, hope everybody stays safe with the storm. If you're in the in the eye of the storm here, I think it's going to be uh, not as bad as everyone uh, thinks. But if you're going to be impacted by the hurricane stay safe uh, enjoy what you can of your labor day weekend and um you know of course continue to listen to the talking Mets podcast when you get a chance i want to thank uh, rich mcleod check out rich at rich mcleod and also uh, on twitter also check him out a baseball prospectus at bp underscore mets for his work of course i'm your host mike silva you can listen to me metsmorizeonline.com and at mike silva media on twitter have a great rest of the weekend See you next week